Hello listeners and welcome to another installment of the Sweeney Saga. On this week's episode, I begin my road to the NFL season. It is Wednesday, August 7th, and uh, Thursday, August 8th, the NFL season will only be five weeks away. So in preparation for that, I'm going to break down all 32 teams, uh, division by division, two at a time over the next four weeks, and that'll have all of the teams covered. Uh, And then the very next week, it'll be ready for kickoff. So um, that's coming up in the first part of the episode. And then the second part of the episode, to put a bow on it, I will be bringing my review of the Hobbs and Shaw movie uh, with The Rock and Jason Statham, which I watched that last week, and I'm really looking forward to talking about that one. But uh, for now, I'm going to start off with my NFL predictions, uh, starting with the NFC West and the AFC West. I'm going to do partner divisions and kind of just break them down from bottom to the top of uh, just overall predictions for the team and how I think they're going to finish the season. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to start off with the AFC West here. Um, Obviously, last year we had the Chiefs reaching the semifinals, uh, ultimately losing to the Super Bowl champion Patriots. Uh, And this year... It's going to be another tight weight, tight race, both on the top and the bottom of the division. So I'm kind of going to hit on both teams in both regards. Um, the AFC West, outside of playing each other in their divisional matchups, they're going to play the AFC South division and the NFC North division. Both of these, I think, are really tough schedules for both teams, whether it be the top two or in the bottom two. Uh, but I'm going to start off with the with the team I have in fourth fourth place as of right now, and that would be the Denver Broncos. I think that maybe one or two games at most will separate the Raiders from the Broncos uh, for a number of reasons. I'm going to get into those right now. Uh, one is that they both have rookie head coaches. John Gruden does have previous head coaching experience and of the Raiders, and he's a previous Super Bowl winning head coach. And the Broncos' head, new head coach is Vic Fangio. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he has a lot of coaching experience. He's actually 60 years old, and he has over 40 years of coaching experience and 24 in the NFL. He just came over to the Broncos as their head coach uh, after a stint of being the defensive coordinator for the Bears over the last three years, which obviously the Bears were the top defense in the NFL last year, and it doesn't look like much is going to change heading into this year after picking up Khalil Mack from the Raiders, which is uh is crazy in and of itself but uh yeah I think that the Broncos their defense their defense is solid and obviously they have the advantage of playing a mile high and you have the teams adjusting to the altitude so that's always going to be uh the cause of a couple wins uh and probably a couple that they probably shouldn't win teams that they're not going to be as good as they might knock off some of their divisional opponents too with the Chiefs and the Chargers I think that they're probably good for one, maybe two wins out of facing those two teams a total of four times. Uh, They brought in Joe Flacco, which is an upgrade from quarterback. Their receivers aren't much to write home about. They do have a bright young star in Cortland Sutherland, who maybe I shouldn't say bright young star, but he has all the tools to be. I do think that he can emerge a little bit as a solid receiver. And you have Emmanuel Sanders uh, bringing up the second receiver on that team which he's always consistent. Um, you can really you're you're not gonna count on a ton of production from him, but you're not gonna you're not usually gonna have a flop with him either in production. 
their running backs, they have this. They have a, a lot of solid ones, but it's also kind of a running back by committee situation. Uh, Philip Lindsay's kind of the top guy, but the other ones are going to get some play too, and that's what makes me a little bit nervous. But the reason that I have them at four and the Raiders uh, at three is because the Raiders have the hardest schedule in the NFL, but the Broncos still have the second hardest schedule in the NFL. And the thing that I think separates them for me is even though I think the Raiders don't have as good of a defense as the Broncos, actually not even close to as good of a defense as the Broncos, I I like the addition additions on offense that they have uh, way more than the Broncos because the Raiders did trade and get Antonio Brown after uh, all the turmoil that went through in Pittsburgh. And Derek Carr, even though it looks like he's regressed a little bit, even from two years ago, which is crazy because he looked like such a bright young quarterback, I still think all the talent is there. And if you add a talent like Antonio Brown, even though he is a huge diva in my eyes and sometimes can uh, can harbor a team's effectiveness, uh, he's still one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's still top five. And I think that whenever you pair somebody like Derek Carr with somebody like Antonio Brown, you're still going to get results. And I like the potential of those results more than I like the potential of Joe Flacco and the talent that he's around. Um, another key addition for them on offense is they got Tyrell Williams from another divisional opponent in the uh, in the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think that Derek Carr has all the tools that it's going to raise some big question marks if he starts uh, – to if he is not able to produce with this roster around him, at least on offense. On defense, obviously, it's a big question mark, and I don't think that these teams, I think they're capped off at maybe seven wins tops, and that's if everything goes right. Because if you look at the non-divisional opponents, obviously with the top divisional opponents, you have the Chiefs and the Chargers, and I think that at most either of these teams is going to get one, maybe two wins against those two. And then with facing each other, either one of them could sweep the other one. So the Raiders could beat the Broncos twice, or the Broncos could beat the Raiders twice, um, or they might just split. So it's kind of hard to tell if what happens divisionally, other than they're definitely looking up at the top two teams in their division. But like I was saying, with the AFC South, all the teams in the AFC South, I think, are better than both of these bottom teams in the AFC West. So at the AFC South, you have the Texans and the Colts at the top, and both of them are just all around offensively, defensively better than either of these two teams are going to be, in my opinion. And even the bottom with the with the Titans and the Jaguars, defensively, they're not going to be able to con- or They're going to be. It's going to be a struggle with uh, with facing those two teams. Same with the NFC North. You have great defenses all around with uh with the Vikings and the Bears plus you have Aaron Rodgers in that division and Matt Stafford even if they're the worst team with the Lions in that division there's still going to be a lot to contain with and uh and that's another reason why I have the Broncos at three over the Bronco or why I have the Raiders at three over the Broncos at four in this division is because I think that uh if I had to put my money down on one team and one offense to be able to try to combat these defensive teams that they're going to face non-divisionally, 
I would have to say Derek Carr and Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, and a committee of running backs is is that has a better chance to go against those guys than uh, Joe Flacco and company. So that does it for the bottom two teams in the division. So I'm going to get on to the top. Now, just kind of like with the bottom, I think that the top is going to be splitting hairs because I have the Chargers at number two, even though they were just they finished just a game behind uh, Kansas City in their own division. But they were one of the, they were quietly one of the best teams in the league, and the thing that's crazy about that is you have this consistency in uh, Philip Rivers. You have two great stars around him with Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon is currently in a holdout right now for a, a new contract, and you know it's hard to tell if he's going to be there week one. Obviously, I want to see him, and everybody else would rather see him. Uh, play than have him sit, kind of like a Le'Veon Bell situation. Uh, but really, I think that this Chargers team, I think they're going to be just as consistent, just as good as they were last year. And uh, defensively, they are just stacked all the way around. The reason that I give the Chiefs the slight edge is is because even though their defense is way worse than the Chargers is, you've seen teams like this the old saints come to mind um where you have this outstanding offense and even though their defense is bad uh you could still you still would pick the offense to outscore just about anybody and i don't think that the chiefs were just a flash in the pan most notably uh patrick mahomes i don't think that he's a just gonna have like one breakout season and then go away because if you look at him he has all the tools to be one of the best the best quarterbacks in the game and obviously he was last year um I think that he's going to continue uh his trend of just being a flat-out baller and uh even though I don't think he's going to come maybe as close to the production as he did last year I still think he's good for about 35 passing touchdowns uh you know maybe even close to 40 because they do lose Kareem Hunt but they have solid running backs they have the same group of receivers, and I still just, I give the Chiefs the slight edge over the Chargers, but just like I said, I think that maybe one or two games at most will separate these top two, and whoever doesn't win the division will probably, it'd be a safe bet to bet on them to go in the wild card. So that does it for the AFC West. Just again, to recap, I have the Broncos at number four, Raiders at number three, Chargers at number two and the Chiefs at number one. So I'm gonna get on to the NFC West. Uh, last year, you obviously had the NFC representatives in the Super Bowl with the Los Angeles Rams uh, losing to New England, as I stated before. Uh, outside of their interdivisional uh, matchups, the NFC West plays the NFC South and AFC North. Now, I think that this again is kind of a tough matchup as far as the AFC North, and I'm going to get into that whenever I break down my fourth place team, and that will be the St. Louis, Car or not the St. Louis Cardinals, <laughs> I kind of just saw a baseball thing earlier, the uh, Arizona Cardinals. So the Arizona Cardinals have a rookie head coach in Cliff, in Cliff Kingsbury, who came over from Oklahoma, and along with him, he has his quarterback from Oklahoma, Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray who went there with the first overall pick in the draft. Uh, 
I really, really am a big fan of Kyler Murray, and that comes from a West Virginia fan. Uh, you know, he kind of, he has all the tools. He's similar to, to uh, Lamar Jackson in that he's a mobile quarterback, and yet he could still stay in the pocket and pass. So he has tools to be exciting. Um, and actually looking at the depth the depth chart, he's got a decent offensive or, uh, offensive ra- around him. I don't know that much about the offensive line, but with uh, with the skill players around him, he's at least got tools to work with. The question mark on here is their defense. Uh, it's hard to tell what's going to happen with them. I know that they picked up Terrell Suggs. You still have uh, Patrick Peterson in the corner, who's one of the best. Um, but everybody else is just kind of hard to tell what kind of production they're going to get out of the defense. Uh, on offense, they do look decent. It's just that everybody else in their division, plus these non-divisional matchups, just make out for a really bad uh, combination. Because I like Kyler. He's got David Johnson in the backfield. He's got Old Reliable and Larry Fitzgerald. They just picked up Michael Crabtree. They brought in uh, Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, who is one of the most underrated receivers, or maybe he's aptly rated, but I think he's going to be able to be uh, productive in the NFL too. So he's got weapons, but the team overall, especially on defense, is just lacking. And it doesn't help that all three teams in his same division, I think, are far and above better than the Cardinals are. So that's why I have them in number four. So coming in at number three, I do have the San Francisco 49ers. Um, They had a lot of hype coming in to them last year, and then unfortunately Jimmy Garoppolo went down with injury. So their their success is really going to be predicated on how well he could come out and play and if he's healthy, which if he's healthy, I think he's going to produce. He's got a good group of teams around him with the additions of Jarek McKinnon and Tevin Coleman. Um, Jordan Matthews also, and on the defensive end, they have, uh, they drafted Nick Bosa, and they have, they picked up Quan Alexander from Tampa Bay, uh, Kyle Shanahan, obviously coaching them again in his second year, and I do think that, that that's a good recipe for success, it just depends on the health of Jimmy G. Um, the other thing, it depends on how well they could play interdivisionally, um, as well as, outside of the division because you do have the AFC North which has some of the better teams in the league I think top to bottom uh they're gonna face tough defenses with the Steelers uh Browns and Ravens in the AFC North and then in the NFC South they're gonna face uh Atlanta which isn't a tough uh defense but then you have uh Carolina who's a little bit better on that end then you still have uh, Tampa Bay to contend with which you know they're not fantastic but it's just going to be kind of a learning process with the 49ers so I do think that they stay in that third slot so number two I have the Seattle Seahawks uh, with the Seahawks you have consistency all the time with Russell Wilson uh, sometimes his offensive line may sack him uh, or may lead to a lot of sacks uh, but you know, week by week, he still comes out there and produces, and every time it seems like he has 250 yards and about two or three touchdowns. Um, they did lose Doug Baldwin to retirement, I believe. Uh, they brought in 
the freak of the draft, which was uh, DK Metcalf, the guy who looks like the Incredible Hulk, and yet he plays receiver. Kind of insane. Um, you still have Tyler Lockett. Their defense is far from the Legion of Boom defense that happened, uh, you know, five years ago or however long ago that was. But, you know, with the with the NFC, I still think that Seattle can squeeze into that wild card spot. Um, it just kind of depends on the production of Russell Wilson and how well that defense can set them up. Uh, they're going to have tough divisional games with the Rams both times. And the 49ers, I still think, are going to give them some problems in the division, too. It just depends on, uh, you know, how well they show up week to week. I think that they have all the tools to be a wild card team. I don't think that they're going to come close to the Rams to win the division. But I still think that they're a solid a solid team to watch, and they'd be a tough out in the playoffs. So, of course, that leaves the Los Angeles Rams with the number one spot for my NFC West prediction. Um the only question mark that they have, and literally it's the only question mark that they have, is uh, is Todd Gurley and coming back with uh, with that knee injury that kind of harbored him in the last or in the playoffs, as well as the Super Bowl. Obviously, he was nowhere close to the player player that he was all year. Um, offensively, they were fantastic. <clears throat> the Rams were hitting on all cylinders seemingly every week. Uh, with them and the Chiefs. Obviously, what they did last year was just insane, especially the game against each other. Um, and Todd Gurley's one of the few running backs in the league that's kind of irreplaceable. Uh, they are good enough offensively that they would still produce if you plug in somebody else uh, into that system, but they're not he, They're not going to produce anywhere close to Todd Gurley level. Um, he was a fantasy stud last year. Whoever had him was probably winning every week. Whoever didn't have him uh, just prayed that they weren't facing him. Todd Gurley was insane. And Jared Goff, uh, I think it was his third year, really kind of popped where he just looked like one of the most accurate throwers in the league. And that system, Sean McVay, it's kind of just uh, a perfect, perfect match. And then it also helps that defensively they have... Uh, one of if not the top defensive players in the in the league and according to the NFL top 100 he is the best player in the league and that's Aaron Donald they emptied the bank out on him he's a defensive star it's you know he anchors that defense and all around the defense is pretty solid for the Rams they have uh, a lot of role players a lot of great players uh, they just brought in Clay Matthews to assist with the pass rush also. Um, I don't remember if they have Ndamukong Sue back or not. Uh, that was just kind of a blunder on my research. But they have Clay Matthews, Aaron Donald. Uh, the linebacking core is nice. Uh, in the secondary, they have uh, Marcus Peters. And they're just they're a solid all-around team, and I don't see a reason that they're not going to win this division again. Uh, probably be in the top two or three teams in the NFC. Uh, I'll have to give you my NFC predictions overall later, but I do think that they're going to run away with this division. Uh, they are going to have some uh, some fun games and matchups within the division, but ultimately I think that the Rams are the cream of the crop, and uh, in the end they're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC in my opinion. So to recap the NFC West, that goes Cardinals at number four, 49ers at number three, Seahawks at number two, and in the number one spot, that's the Rams. 
So that does it with my uh, NFL predictions for this week, uh, division by division. Of course, I had the NFC West and the AFC West. Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't have a specific order that I want to go in, but I will do uh, both pairs concurrently. It just depends on what I'm feeling for next week. But uh, yeah, I'll bring in uh, two more sets of divisions to predict on next week, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. But for now, I will hit the second part of my episode, and that would be the review for Hobbs and Shaw. Or should I say, Fast and, F- Fast and Furious presents the Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, yeah, I don't think that it was really necessary to have that as a title. It was more of a uh, marketing ploy, just because these movies do really well at the box office. Uh, some people do get confused about you know, whether or how they're linked, but they are characters from the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, and I'm going to talk more about that, but first and foremost, I just have to say that out of all franchises and big name franchises, for me, there's three top ones. That is uh, Star Wars, obviously one of the biggest franchises of all time. Uh, you have Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe or MCU. And coming in at number three for me, in terms of most favorite, is uh, the Fast and Furious franchise. It's crazy to think that after 18 years you can get a movie like this and it still be as good as some of the other uh, counterparts in the series. Um, For me, the first one that came out in 2001, which was The Fast and the Furious, uh, one of my favorite movies uh, whenever I was growing up, still one of my favorite movies in terms of action, and uh, and just on a consistent basis, there's only been two movies in the franchise that I really don't like, and that would be uh, the third and the fourth one, which was Tokyo Drift and Fast and Furious. Um, other than that, you have uh, Luke Hobbs, who's in this movie, which is The Rock's character, and uh, Deckard Shaw, played by Jason Statham. You have these two characters that were introduced in different Fast and Furious movies, and it was announced in 2017, I believe, after uh, one of the movies came out that these or that this character was going to get a spinoff, uh, spinoff movie, and that would be uh, Luke Hobbs played by The Rock. So Luke Hobbs was first introduced in Fast Five which, in my opinion, is the best of the Fast and Furious movies. And Fast Five was really where uh, the franchise took a turn because you had all the car stuff and all the you know, need-for-speed type of tuners and show cars, and racing was a huge part of the earlier movies. And then that kind of took a backseat to uh, what the franchise has now turned into, and that is these over-the-top action movies. It didn't start completely over the top with Fast Five, but that's where uh, where it really had the starting line of this new sort of uh, genre that the movies have evolved into. So with Fast Five, it was ultimately a big heist movie, and you had uh, some over-the-top action, and it kind of just... Uh, that's where Fast and Furious really kind of steered into its skid, so to speak, um, and found kind of their niche and how they evolved this franchise. So from six or Fast and Furious six and seven and eight, they just kind of get increasingly increasingly more over the top, and yet 
you still have these characters that everybody loves and good solid stories enough that they always crush at the box office just like Hobbs and Shaw did and they're just they're just easy summer fun movies to go eat some popcorn watch some good stunts and have a few laughs and they're good for you know just about everybody that goes uh usually enjoys a Fast and Furious movie so with Hobbs and Shaw it was directed by David Leach and uh I really like everything that he's been in except for I haven't seen one of his movies but I always wanted to uh he has an uncredited director role for John Wick which obviously as I've said whenever I reviewed John Wick 3 the first John Wick is one of the most perfect action movies of all time and uh he also directed Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron and he directed most recently Deadpool 2 which I absolutely loved the action and comedy in Deadpool 2 was fantastic so obviously whenever I saw that he was signed on to direct the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff movie I was super excited to watch this movie not only because I love these characters um but I was just excited with the pairing of uh of Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham to come in with this Fast and Furious type action and uh, I thought that the director was a perfect match for it and this movie really it had its foot on the gas from the very first scene uh it introduces its villain which is uh Brixton played by Idris Elba and Brixton is just one of the most fantastic villain names I could ever think of honestly I kind of want to get a dog just to or get an get another dog I should say just so that I can name him Brixton like Brixton the Bulldog works so perfectly in my opinion so I love this uh I love the name of the villain and it goes right into this scene where he kind of gets this serum and I'm not gonna you know spoil all of it but kind of uh just some generic things is basically this movie it involves uh Idris Elba playing Brixton and his goal is to get this serum so that he can distribute it to the world uh basically that should tell you all that you need to know and uh and you have Luke Hobbs and who works for the FBI and uh Jason Statham playing Deckard Shaw who kind of has teamed up and turned from bad to good in between uh I think it was Fast and Furious 6 or 7 uh but he turned to a good guy in Fate of the Furious which was the eighth movie and so you have these two that are able to team up to take down Brixton um and also like I said foot on the gas from scene one they introduce the villain you kind of see what he's dealing with and how he's a threat obviously and then uh the movie goes into kind of a side-by-side -side juxtaposition of uh of where Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw are now and then uh so that goes into or that comes right after the opening scene and you just you know what kind of movie you're getting from the very get-go um this movie shows right away it's obviously going to be another installment of that over-the-top action movie and they do a fantastic job at that but yeah where this movie really succeeds is that it never tries to get out of its lane and be something that it's not it's an over-the-top action movie from the very beginning and 
uh, and you really just where this movie really sells you on is kind of like the other Fast and Furious characters or Fast and Furious movies, and that is with the characters. You have uh, Luke Cobbs and Deckard Shaw that you know from previous installments, and uh, not only that, but obviously they're two of the biggest movie stars on the planet. You have The Rock, who probably is the biggest movie star on the planet that's outside of, like, the Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio kind of echelon. But you have uh, The Rock, who is one of the biggest social media personalities, biggest personalities and entertainment personalities in the world, who's able to sell all these movies. And uh, you pair that with Jason Statham, who is one of the best action stars of uh of the decade at least i mean i know all kinds of action movies that i love him in from the transporter movies and crank um even the crappy ones like the meg i wouldn't watch that solely because i love jason statham i will watch him in just about anything that he's in and uh so whenever you have these two paired together with characters that are already entertaining from previous movies it was a no-brainer that i was super anticipating this movie and obviously a bunch of other people were because it crushed at the box office. Um, I think that it will continue to make its money because of word of mouth, and uh, and it's going to rack up enough money that it sets up for a sequel um, based off money alone. And, uh, you know, there's not really spoiler, but uh, it sets up in different parts for a sequel for this movie. And, uh, and obviously... As you could tell, I had a fun time watching this one. Uh, in addition to Idris Elba, Jason Statham, and The Rock, you have Vanessa Kirby that plays uh, Jason Statham's sister, and she was fantastic in the movie. She had really good chemistry with both of the both of the leads, and uh, and her action scenes were also pretty awesome to watch. Uh, I don't know her from a lot of different things. I know that she is in The Crown, if I remember correctly, but I've never watched that. So this was kind of my introduction to her, and she was a great star to put along with these two, and I'm, I'm honestly I'm really looking forward to uh, whether she's in the sequel or whether she would tie into uh, the future uh, of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, just next year we're gonna get Fast and Furious Nine, and I'd love it if she was in it. Uh, same way with I'd like it if. Uh, if Hobbs and Shaw were both in that movie again, but it's kind of hard to tell. Um, there's kind of that conflict that's been going on with Vin Diesel and The Rock with uh, whether or not they're going to be in that or not. I hope that they are because I think that these characters are fantastic, and if they're not in it, I think it's going to kind of hurt Fast and Furious 9 sales. But the thing is, with as consistent of a franchise as this is, I'd don't see that hurting the sales that much because Fast and Furious 9 will probably look just kind of like Hobbs and Shaw did in that it's a simple movie that everybody kind of looks forward to whenever they have a new installment and this movie is no different. Um, I don't have a ton to say other than the action scenes were great. Um, some of them were spoiled in the trailer which kind of sucked. That's why after I watched uh, the trailer maybe once or twice, uh, sometimes in the theaters. I kind of tried to uh, men in black myself, where I just wish I would have not remembered anything from the trailer, um, including some of the jokes. Uh, some of those were kind of ruined, but uh, but really, 
a small portion of the writing and jokes were only ruined in the trailer. Um, this movie still provided a lot of laughs because the chemistry between The Rock and Jason Statham is fantastic. Their characters are really well written. Like I said, the director uh, had to do with... like He knows how to direct comedy just like in Deadpool. So with the editing and everything, uh, the film has a lot of laughs. Uh, I don't want to spoil who specifically, but the film also features a couple cameos that I was definitely not expecting. I heard about cameos, but I didn't know who was in them at all. I'm glad that I didn't, so if you don't know that or haven't heard it, don't look it up before you see this movie, um, because they were some of the highlights of, of the film, hands down. Um, yeah, I basically with this movie, I was super excited. I knew what I was getting myself into. And the movie provided me with exactly what I would expect. Um, it wasn't perfect, obviously. Some of the scenes... Uh, the movie was a little bit overlong. Not by much, maybe by about 15 minutes or something like that. Because it ran a little over two hours. And I think if it came in at about an hour 50 or an hour 45 or something like that, the movie would have been a little bit faster paced. But, you know, overall the action obviously was the biggest selling point. The comedy is great. The characters are all likable. Uh, the story is, you know, whether it's conventional or not, it's still a good plot, um, enough that you care for all the characters. And, uh, the only thing that I was worried about, but I would have to say this is the last thing that I really have to, uh, praise the movie on, is even though as ridiculous of as this as the stunts that we've seen in other Fast and Furious movies have been I was still a little worried whenever the preview came out to this and you got to saw or you got to see Brixton played by Idris Elba and kind of the the villain that he was because it looked like he was exactly a super soldier just like Winter Soldier or Captain America was from the Marvel movies um and even though like I said, we've seen tons of over-the-top stunts. It kind of seemed like that was a little too much. But then it really... The way that they work with it in the script and uh, and kind of have him in the movie, just his role and what he's able to do, it is way cooler than I expected that it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a little bit much, but it ends up not being that at all. They, uh, Like I said, I think it was a, a really well-crafted movie. Uh, the plot was great. I, I enjoyed just about everything about this movie. It's not completely perfect, but I still give it a 9 out of 10 on my score. I, uh, I definitely recommend seeing this if you're a fan of the franchises, or a fan of the Fast and Furious franchises, or just in general of, uh, of the lead characters. I think that you would really enjoy this one. Um, so that does it for this week's episode. Tune in next week for another breakdown of, uh, more NFL teams, and I may have another review coming. So thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.